Well, we've uh, got a special day where we're going to get some questions, and uh, I'm going to do some answering. And we've invited Jonna to be our host. So, Jonna, why don't you take it away? Awesome. I'm super excited to be here, to be back in church. And thank you, PC, for having me um, today. I'm super honored. So let's dive right in. So we started the series a little bit over a month ago, and the first week we got to learn about who God is. And so one of the questions that was sent in is, if God always does what he pleases and thinks is good, how is that different from a dictator? Because some people may see him like that. If God doesn't answer to anyone, is that not the same as a dictator or the character of a dictator or just someone in power setting rules that are good to them? It's even stronger than that. It's that he loves to show his glory. He makes decisions based on what will show his glory the most. And for, for every person who ever studies God and who God is, you have to answer, you, you have to ask this question. And for every one of you who are a follower of Jesus, you might have kind of thought that question, oh, I shouldn't ask that. No, you have to ask this question. It's the really, really, really big one. So uh, the first thing is that, that it's even worse than we thought. In other words, God, when you really dive into what God says about himself and what he says about his glory, he stands alone. He totally stands alone. He is, he is absolute. He's all of those things. But this is part of who he is. He gave you a choice. He gave me a choice. And so a dictator doesn't really give you a choice. It gets bigger. He gave you a choice and you chose the wrong thing. And then he gave his life. He paid for what you did wrong so that you could have his life. So every time he makes a decision for what's best for him, it's best for you. Okay. So fast forward, we go into weeks two and three where we learned about God's glory and how our purpose is to glorify him. So John Piper, who is the author of the book Astonished by God, he tells us that God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Now, based off of this, um, we got a really good question. And it's, if God wants me to be satisfied in him, then why does he let all these bad things happen to me? So uh, when I first begin to answer this, uh, it's going to sound a little, little mean. Hang in there with me till we get all the way through. Um, any of you are parents or have been around parents or you yourself had parents, you've experienced this. At some point in your life, you told your parents, if they would just do what you wanted, you'd be satisfied in them. Like your whole problem in your life is what your parents are telling you what you cannot do or they're not providing what you want them to provide. And their, our perspective at that moment, we really believe it. We really believe, I would be so happy with you, mom and dad, if you just were a better mom and dad. But what's really happening is in a healthy relationship, mom and dad are more concerned about your character than you being happy for that moment. God is way more concerned about your character than you being happy for the moment. And he has promised he will use every one of those struggling, 
horrible things. Whether he allowed it, whether it was caused by somebody else's sin, or sometimes it's caused by your own sin. He's going to turn that for good. This is why he's astonishing. He's going to make you more like him. Now, I personally often say what you say. Well, then I don't want to be like him. I just want the stuff. He loves you too much to do that. And so the reason he doesn't do that is because it wouldn't be for your best interest. So, PC, that sounds good. It, it really does. It makes sense. But one of the questions that came in, and, and I agree, is I can tell it would be better for me to have all of my satisfaction in God. Like, it makes sense. Um, but I know that I don't. So what are some actual things, like some action steps that I can do to really find my satisfaction only in God? Uh, my favorite, this is my favorite question. Um, and the beginning piece, uh, you've already discovered which is, wow, I guess my satisfaction isn't in him. The reason I'm unsatisfied is because I don't find it in him. Like, I'm looking at it in other places. And, and that's, that's where we have to start. But there's two words, two principles that I want to share with you. The first one is grace. And whenever we don't find satisfaction in God, it's almost always because we believe we deserve something. I'm unsatisfied because I'm not getting what I deserve. But the Bible's really clear and we're, if I'm honest with myself and if you're honest with yourself, if you get what you deserve, it's death. You, you and I are selfish beings. You and I are naturally, we naturally are prideful, hurtful, selfish. And even when we try to do good, we really want glory for ourselves. We want honor for what we've done. And the Bible is really clear that that deserves death. So the beginning point is any good thing that God is giving me is by grace. Like whenever I measure my life and I go, wait, am I getting more than I deserve? The answer is, yeah, I really am. I've been giving love joy, and peace with God. This is at the point that you really get to wake up every morning going, I don't, this is a gift. It really is a gift to wake up in the morning. That's grace. That's the foundation. That's where it begins. And then there's faith. Faith is when I believe what God says is true over what I think or feel or have experienced is true. So on any given day, I'm disappointed that I didn't do well at work, or I didn't get paid enough, and I'm not saving enough, and I didn't get to go on that vacation like somebody else did. On any given day, I'm looking at my own life and my own, the way I live and going, Chris, you don't have what it takes. You need to get better, and come on. Get, other people need to be better, and I need to be better, and this is not, oh. And Jesus comes along and says, listen, when you became a follower of me, when you trusted me, I, I, I now belong to you, and you belong to me. That's who I am. I don't feel like God's here. He's absolutely here. I either get to experience that joy because I trust him for what he says, or I don't because I trust me. When I trust him, I find satisfaction in him. He also says that he gave me his righteousness, his holiness. So 
all that I'm going through life, I'm trying to prove myself, I'm trying to be valuable, I'm so unsatisfied. Unless I believe what he says, which is I'm everything he ever dreamed I'd be. Every time I say that statement, my heart goes, oh, I'm so satisfied. That is so awesome. It's grace and faith. That's how, day in and day out, that's how you find satisfaction in God. All right. So we're going to shift gears for a little bit because during our series, we um, decided as a church to respond to the murder of George Floyd. And this was the first time, at least in my time being at Skyline, that I feel like we got the opportunity to attack such a big topic head on. And these next few questions, I will be completely honest, they are my personal questions <laughs> that I have had conversations with Pastor Chris about um, because they were heavy and I needed an answer. I need an answer in a way of how do we interact with this, but in a Christ-like manner. So we got to hear from some of the elders, um, and we have a very diverse group of elders, might I add. Um, but when it came to you speaking, I definitely heard from you as my pastor, teaching me biblical truths about injustice, but I felt it was a little safe. I heard my pastor, but I didn't hear from my brother in Christ, Chris High. So my first question is, what is your personal response to this racism that has obviously existed, but we're seeing it even more so blatantly today? Okay. Um, I hate it. I, I hate it. I don't just hate it like, oh, that's too bad. I wish it wasn't that way. I hate it. I hate what it does to people, and I, I hate what it does to people who are oppressed because of racism that oppresses people. But the one that I, I, I think I actually hate the most is the one where people accept that and they believe what the racist has told them and they begin to look at themselves that way. I, I hate it. And I secondly want to say, I've been fighting this my whole life. People are like, what do you mean? We don't even talk about it in our church. I haven't been fighting it the way you've seen it fought or the way the world's seen it fought, but I have been fighting this my whole life. I'm going to continue to fight it my whole life. The other thing I want to say, and I'm sure you're going to have some more questions and follow-up, is this. Um, I don't agree that it's getting more. It's gotten, it, like, it's so much worse than it used to be. I lived in Alabama, and I got to meet a couple of guys, and they were gracious enough to talk to me, and we, sit, we were sitting around talking. I said, hey, can you tell me what it was like when you, were, when you were a kid? And he goes, yeah, yeah, I remember. I remember that I could buy orange soda or grape soda or cherry soda, but I couldn't buy Coke because they wouldn't sell Coke to a black guy. <laughs> how do you do that to somebody, right? Like, and, and how did he do it? How did he face that every day of his existence? He was overtly told, you're not worth what the rest of us are worth. How did, I hate it, I hate it. But I don't agree that it's worse today. I think what they went through is horrible. This is not to belittle 
what you or what you go through. But I just don't agree with that last part. So I have a question um, for us as believers. Um, now, this injustice has happened over a big span of time in different ways. So how are there Christians who have racist tendencies or mindsets? How, how do those coexist? Awesome. So uh, we're going to answer this on two levels. The first level is uh, that <clears throat> racism comes primarily from ignorance and pride. Uh, the ignorance is the fact that you actually think that people are different than you. Now, this is where a lot of people, uh, they walk in this situation, they talk about this situation as though, yeah, the racism is a white man's problem. That's not true. It's everybody's problem. And I don't mean American racism. I mean everybody tends to see people in people groups and based on their color. And you and I, we are not different. You're like, ah, no, you don't understand. And I, I, I'm the pastor Skyline. If you've ever been here, you know. And I, I receive this all the time. Well, pastor, you, you don't understand. You're not Dominican. You don't understand. You're not. What do you mean? You're literally telling me you're different than me. I don't buy it. I don't think you're different than me. I think you have different experiences. I think your hair looks way better than my hair is ever going to look. I don't think you're different than me. And believers who do believe that are not experiencing grace. They're not building their life on grace. It's impossible to believe and build your life on grace and build your life on racism at the same time. Why? Because what makes us absolutely the same is not our strengths. It's not our looks. What makes us absolutely the same is we started with zero righteousness. None. We all are sinners. And any goodness that we have has been given to us by God. You and I are the same. We started with zero righteousness. Any goodness I have was a gift from God. Any goodness you have is a gift from God. That is who we are. And when a believer, and many have, from an ignorant standpoint, have, have believed there's actually a difference. Like, it literally makes you different because you have a different color, a different heritage, different, right? And it's come because they came to know Christ to go to heaven by grace. They believe that God would forgive them of their sins. But they think they get their goodness from things they do. They're not building their lives on grace. I can't prove this. But almost always, when you don't build your life on grace, you are going to build it on some kind of race or division. So what I'm hearing is we are very much the same because we get our righteousness from God, correct? So, um, well, even more than that, we're very much the same because we had no righteousness. Correct. I never get to go, I'm better than you. Really? Where, where does that come from? Does that come from the Bible? The Bible is crystal clear. I have no better. It doesn't come from me. Yeah, sorry. No. Really important to me. <laughs> so, 
it may not come from the Christian community, but I feel like it has come from Christians that I've come across, or even more so people who are not believers. And they grow up saying, well, I didn't see color. We're just the human race, those type of things. How is that not dismissive of our obvious differences? Okay, I'm going to jump on this question, and we're going we're gonna to go. i got a video that I want to show. It's part of, and I think it's important we jump into this fairly early. Um, the simple answer is this. I clearly see that you have different hair, and that our poor producer has to readjust his camera a thousand times because I'm white, and you are beautiful, right? As clear as can be. You have different experiences, and you have a different story. And what I think you want is I want, you want me not to dismiss your story. You don't think you have the same story I have. A guy who grows up in Patterson, and the police roll up, throw him in the police car, take him somewhere and beat him up, and throw him out. That guy doesn't think he has the same story as the guy who grew up on a hog farm, where the only people who ever beat me up was my brothers. You have a different story. You do. Let's, let's, we got this guy named, uh, we call him Pastor Patrick because I can't actually say his last name well. Uh, he is the pastor, or was the pastor, of, um, George Floyd, and he did us the honor by doing the interview with uh, Christopher, my son. And so uh, let's take a look at that as we jump into this story idea. As, you, as you've moved through it, how, how has that changed? How has that, because obviously it, the, the emotion of it all, all that's engaged uh, with it is it's constantly changing. How, how has that changed for you? Uh, so one of the things that I instantly understood because I've given this advice to so many other people, and so finally I'd have an opportunity to take my own advice, was, man, I just went through a period of lamentation, uh, lamenting. Um, did it with the church, doing it by myself, did it with other pastors, literally like, hey, guys, I know we want to, you know, the anger in us would have us, like, charge and do some crazy things. But, you know, the, the, the moderns, they call it venting. The ancients, they call it lamenting. Mm -hmm. And uh, we went through a period of lamenting for, it's been two weeks, uh, and so, you know, I had all these plans, all these things I wanted to do, but I just told people, hey, let's, I mean, when, when I say let's, meaning, well, if you guys aren't going to, I need to. So you can join me on this journey. Uh, and, you know, thankfully people have. But man, that, that, that first wave was, of emotions was intense. I mean, I, I wanted to, you know, I would, I would look, I was empathetic with the people 
who were destroying property. Because I was like, man, if I was out there, would I stop them? And I knew I wouldn't. And so, you know, that that period of lamenting. And, and you know, let me just use some some regular words. Like people were literally agonizing to God. Why? And how? And sometimes it would come out from some people with foul language and, you know, but, but I realize and understand, man, the, the, the psalmist and also the prophet Jeremiah, man, they, they said some things to God and <clears throat> to people that, you know, I don't, I wouldn't call correct theology, but when you are in that moment, you don't know what you're going to say. And I think lamenting is a great outlet. So PC, um, I was personally afraid that this might have been a one and done conversation here at church. Um, I wasn't sure how we were going to interact. So, but it seems like you are changing the trajectory of how our church is responding to this. Why is that? Uh, so that has quite a history to it. I said earlier that I've, I've been fighting racism my whole life. It's, our church is literally built to fight racism. We have, we have specific principles that we follow and that I lead toward, even demand, that fight racism. But I never, I never wrote it down and I never, uh, as a church, said, okay, let's talk about that. And this is why. Because it's not a two-sided issue, but the world makes it a two-sided issue. You're not on one side and I'm on the other side. And so you've got to be willing to listen. And one of our church's principles is that we don't have opinions about one another. And that's key. Because uh, when this blows up, whenever this happens, people want to share their opinion. They think their opinion really, really matters. Well, that's a conflict. This is, this is a conflict because you, you want to tell your story. But almost always with your story comes an opinion that I know is not right. Even from a person who is being oppressed? Good. So their story, your story is your story. It's authentic. It's real. Your opinion about why and what to do about it isn't always right. The person who's been hurt doesn't always have the right answer for what to do about it. So let's talk about the story part first, and then we'll come back to the opinions if, that, if that's okay. So this is what happened. What happened, and it's, it's happened a couple times since we have been at church. This is, these things have they've flared up for one reason or another. And I, I, I wouldn't come together and listen to stories because, personally, I always feel responsible to do something about something, right? But this lamenting idea is not, hear the story, now this is what we're going to do. It's lamenting for the sake of being together. And it became crystal clear to me, we are not doing that as a body of Christ. That's a really important part of the body of Christ is that we can come together and lament. Like you and I and other people could actually come to our church and we could lament together. 
But to do that well, you have to understand we're going to practice we don't have opinions. Because for you to tell me your story and for me to listen with my whole heart and hear you, it can't be followed up with, yes, and I hate this politician and I think they're the problem. And if you don't hate this politician, I hate you. That's really prevalent. It's really prevalent that people have signs or movements. And like, if you don't, if you don't agree with this movement, if you're not with this group of people, then I hate you. You're out. So to have this conversation, we have to have both sides. Not both sides of the conversation. There aren't two sides of the conversation. There's 15 sides to the conversation. First and foremost, let's create a place where we can hear each other's stories. The only way that can be done safely is you're going to follow biblical principles when we're together as a group. I want to say it very clearly. Your opinion is not the most important thing. The world tells you that your voice is the most important thing. We've just learned in Astonishing, your voice is not the most important thing. God's voice is. And race is because of sin. Racism is because of sin. It's because people shake their fist at God and say, I don't, I'm not going to follow your opinion. I'm going to follow mine. processor <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about what skyline the response that skyline has had and what we're going to do as a church to move forward and address this um so two of the things that we speak about that pastor chris spoke about was um what is skyline going to do about the abuse of power by people in power uh, we are going to give our lives to helping men and women to stop using their power to hurt and manipulate one another so that children can grow up with the character to not only use their power to serve, but to stand up to those who abuse power when and where they see it. What is Skyline going to do about the fate of those who live in hopelessness and fear of those who abuse power? We are going to hear their stories, we are going to join Jesus in helping them build their lives on grace, which empowers them and anyone who is oppressed to live lives of joy and to live with hope for tomorrow. And that sounds really good, but I'm the type of person that needs an action plan. I need tangible action steps to understand how I'm going to do this. And I'm sure a lot of other people are as well. So what does that look like? What are we going to do um, to help folks stop using their power um, to hurt or manipulate others or to help those who have been oppressed to really live joyfully and build their lives on grace? What does that physically look like? All right, so uh, super practically, it means uh, I just had this conversation with somebody this week. Somebody uh, was uh, followed by a police officer for like five miles. He's like, oh, he's following me, he's following me. He was being super careful, super careful. And uh, finally, after five miles, he, he pulls him over just when he's about to go into his town. And the police officer comes out screaming at him. He's screaming at him. And the officer's screaming, da, 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 da. you know why I pulled you over? And the guy said, because uh, I'm a Patriots fan. And uh, he diffused the whole situation. 
he told me the story because he said, lots of times we just want to meet force with force. And it's actually a biblical principle that a soft answer turns away wrath. But here's what our church is committed to. We're committed to teaching and following through that when that happens, we take down his number and we report that guy. It's, a, it's abuse of power. Now, there's going to be lots of other ones. And when that happens, you're going to get in trouble because you reported it. It's why we don't do it. And so our church is committed to standing behind you when that happens, even to the point that if you end up having to go take them to court, that we say, hey, let's take an offering to help them take them to court. You know what our elders did when we said that? A couple of them go, oh, great, good. We're standing behind what we said. Uh, two wise ones, it's not the other ones weren't wise, said, wait a minute. How do we know they're right? People do false accusations all the time. That's right. Because if you're actually going to do something practical about this, it's messy and dangerous. It's going to cost us a lot. It, it can cost us image. It can cost us a lot. But that's the practical step we have to take in terms of abuse of power that way. The second one was about what are we going to do in terms of parents? So this is another facet or another side to the conversation. How many of you men abuse your power at home with your wife and with your children? Are you even aware of this? Are you even aware that you are creating people who are going to abuse power? I, I got another one for you. There's a group of people at our church. They're the most hallowed people at our church, the most amazing people at our church. You don't know who they are, and you never will. They are adults who work with our Sky Kids, where kids often don't have a dad, or they're in a home situation, or they personally, that kid has a personal situation where that adult lovingly sits with, holds, does whatever has to be done to discipline this child to understand this one simple thing, you certainly can sit still. Because everybody in that child's life has told them he can't sit still. No, no. They need adults who will do the hard work of not abusing power and forcing, but doing whatever sacrifice it takes to help that child understand, no, 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 you can have self-control which ultimately leads to respect. Those are the practical, that's a super important practical piece of what we do. And I'm glad we were talking about the kids because the last statement that was in our response to all of this says, what is um, Skyline going to do about racism? We are going to build a small but significant family where racism is replaced with grace, humility, and love where children are convinced racism is not everywhere because it's not here. And again, it sounds good, but PC, we've already figured out that we're living in a broken world and racism isn't just going to go away. So how can this not be problematic for our kids who may leave these four walls and end up encountering racism? What, what are they gonna do? What, will they be like, well, we didn't see this at Skyline. Why am I experiencing this now? How, how are they gonna respond to that? Awesome, awesome. There's two things, probably three. One, 
Are we going to raise our kids to teach them that they need to get rid of racism in the world? Or are we going to raise our kids that the world has racism and this is how you survive? No, this is how you thrive. I go for number two. You know why? Racism comes from sin. You can wipe out the entire humanity and leave one. You're not getting rid of racism. It comes from sin. So what we want to do is raise our children, one, how you don't be racist. How do you do that? A couple principles. One is you can't, you can't practice grace and racism at the same time. You teach that child how to build their lives on grace. You will wipe it out of their heart. Number two, you teach them, yes, there's racism. There's oppression. There always has been. There always will be. But in God's kingdom, there's no victim mentality. In God's kingdom, I'm going to read this, this, this verse. In God's kingdom, the more oppressed you are, the more powerful God is in your life. This has always been true. One of the most amazing, I think, I think the most amazing people in American history are the slaves. Especially when they came out of slavery but experienced enormous oppression. A lot of the music that we sing and hymns that I grew up with were written by them because they trusted God. They built lives of joy and power, and they were great dads, great moms who poured into their kids' lives. Those families were something else. They were in an impossible situation, and God's power was shown forth. You won't know that till you get to heaven. I'm sure when you get to heaven, you're going to be like, whoa, those people had character beyond anything I can imagine. To raise your children that my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's my power may rest on me. In other words, I'm not going to boast about what a victim I am and look at the horrible things that have happened to me. I am going to boast about the fact that, yes, this happened to me, which means God. God's going to, he is the one. He is the only one that can take care of me. He can literally change me to a person who can be treated like that. Doesn't take my joy. Doesn't take my peace. Doesn't take my strength. Why? All of mine comes from God. It doesn't come from you, bud. He goes on to say, this is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. There's one other piece to this, and this is an opinion piece. You can just throw this out. Whenever we train, we train our children to live by grace and to live in the strength of God, the byproduct is it changes your culture. Now, when you try to change your culture without these two things, you end up with tyranny, you, you end up with division, 
you end up with you looking at me going, I'm white, I wonder what he's like, and me looking at you going, I wonder what she thinks of me. That's what you end up with. And you said, you know, okay, maybe we've experienced it in Skyline. I, I could be wrong about this. I think Skyline's proof that God's principles work. There's not a bit of racism between you and me. Not a bit. Did we have to sit down and talk about our race for that to happen? Nope. You did need to know if I understood your story. And I'm trying to, I want, I'm going to change. I'm going to get better at hearing your story. But it's God's grace that makes you my daughter. And I'm your dad. It's God's grace that makes us one. That's how we fight racism. PC, we could keep on going. Um, and I know we are going to continue to have conversations as I encourage everyone else to continue to have these conversations. And I just want to thank you for being willing to listen, for being willing to have the uncomfortable conversations, and just being there, being there uh, for me as well as many others during this time. Awesome. We're going to, uh, I want you to listen to another video from uh, Pastor Patrick. I think they call him PT. But uh, as you'll hear the question. Christopher asked the question, and um, it's the way they ended the interview, and it's the way I want to end what we're talking about today. And I'll, I'll come back and say a few more things, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, is there any last things that you would say? You know, I just want to, I would just want to communicate this one last thing. I just want to make this, this clear. Um, my, my last thing is, hey, as a nation, as a country, as uh, I'm borrowing words from the scripture, and uh, we're either going to, <clears throat> uh, and I've been telling people this, but I, but but I have hope, uh, and and it's and it's rooted. We're either going to master the sin of racism, or the sin of racism is going to master us as a nation. Uh, but the hope of the world is in the church, and I think we have a prime opportunity to bring people to the Lord in this season. Do whatever you need to do to shake off the cobwebs, to, you know, uh, unmask yourself or um, uh, uh, unimmerse yourself into trying to build your kingdom. Uh, you know, I, I, and, I'll, and I'll say this, as a, one who has advanced degrees, I understand the pull of should I do ministry or should I just kind of, you know, build this wealth, if you will, yeah. trust me, I think we're in a season where uh, the most impactful work you will do now and forever will be a part of this national conversation of bringing a country that's been rocked by this thing, uh, bringing it to Jesus. And so if, if it's, man, I need more training, go get it. If it's, I, you know, I need to buckle down in the training my elders have already given me and are giving me, do it. But we need you out here on the front lines. And I think that God can do so much through um, your efforts and activities in bringing uh, hope in Jesus to, to our nation. Uh, Pastor Patrick is uh, hes really a, a special guy. It was neat. Christopher called me right after he did the interview and he's like, I I wish we could hire this guy. Like, he, he planted a church in a community 
where it will never be self-supporting. Like they don't have the socioeconomic ability to, to get to that place. It says a ton about, about his heart. And <clears throat> look at what he's been through. Like he's really been through really the worst. But his answer is that it's God's grace that changes people's hearts. And to do that, we, we pour our lives into, into people. I already touched on it a little bit earlier. I, I want to end this way for Father's Day. Uh, I am convinced the number one way that we help actually change the world out there is that kids grow up in homes where dad loves mom and mom loves dad. That kids grow up in a home where they, they develop a security from a dad who's built his life on grace. They watch their dad. There's not a hint of racism in him. It's, there's, there, there's this ability to take on a broken, mean, harsh, horrible world because my dad built it into me. So I want to ask you, dads, would you dare to give your heart and your life? I want to ask you, moms, you're justifiably hurt. You want something done. Would you dare give the rest of your life to make sure? Maybe we can't change right now, but we can change the next generation if we give our hearts and our lives to making sure children grow up in homes where dad is there. Watch this. Then you're going to go to worship. Just have a great conversation with God about this. Dad, do a mom. I do. How much? Gobs and gobs. Dad, mm -hmm. do you love my brother? Connor? <laughs> I do. How much? Gobs and gobs. Dad, mm -hmm. do you love God? Yeah. How much? Gobs and gobs. Dad, uh -huh. do you love me? Hmm. Dad. <laughs> I do. How much? Um. I already know. Gobs, gobs and gobs. gobs. Yeah. Dad, mm -hmm. how much is a gob? Let me put it like this. Favorite color is yellow. And when you eat those Nutter Butter cookies, you always scrape the peanut butter out of the middle and you secretly feed it to the dog because you think the dog deserves a treat too. At nighttime, I know before you go to bed, you always pull your Barbies all together because you don't want them to be lonely. And sometimes when you get a little nervous, you bat your eyes like this. They get really, really, really fast. But when you're happy and when you're excited, you always twirl your hair right beside your ear. And you love your mama's red earrings. And you always seem to eat your green beans one at a time. <laughs> you see, my love, I notice you. And I love being your daddy. And I will always be here for you. Even on your best days, maybe on your worst days, your daddy loves you and will always be here for you. 
And that, my dear, that's what a gob is. I gob you too, Daddy. <laughs>